Hi everyone, and welcome to the Y2 Podcast, where I interview interesting and noteworthy people to learn about their journeys and specifically look to understand their beliefs, values, mindset, and the resources they use to get started and succeed on their journey. I'm your host, Dustin Elliott, and today's guest is Ryan Spacavento, entrepreneur and founder of Coffee on Q, Melbourne's fastest growing event coffee company. Now, whether he was starting up a pizza shop with no hospitality ownership experience and turning it into a local Sydney hotspot, or dabbling in a variety of leading-edge tech startups, Ryan has never been one to shy away from a challenge and take life head-on. His story appears to follow a non-linear process, but as we dive into it, it's a truly inspirational journey as we weave through a process of self-discovery to define and chase his passions, which ultimately led him to marry those two passions together in his latest venture, Coffee on Q. We talk about goal setting, the mentality of getting started, and how to bring your passions and interests together to create something uniquely you. If you've ever sat there and weren't sure about how to combine your passions together, this is going to be the discussion for you, and not to mention, he does by far one of the best Italian impressions I've ever heard. So that being said, let's get to today's conversation. Ryan, welcome to the YT Podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Justin. Nice to be here, man. Excellent. I'm looking forward to today's chat. I think we've got a lot of a lot of really cool things to go through today, and I have no doubt that um, from our conversation today, I'm going to to learn a lot about you I didn't know. But I'm so excited to have you on because, like we talked about before, just before we started rolling today, we've known each other for a couple of years now, and I know you've you've had a you've had an interesting story. But I think it's only recently when I started to go through and look at the different people I wanted to bring on the podcast, and uh, looking at your LinkedIn profile with a little bit more detail, I I started to realize, and I started to have these what's going on moments, these these <laughs> these, these seemingly unrelated transitions that I thought. There's going to be a good story behind this, and I'm so excited for the opportunity to sit down with you and go through that. But to get us started with, I want us to uh, I want you to tell us a uh, t- tell the story about your first business as a kid, and specifically the joke that you just told me as well too. <laughs> sure. All right. So it was with my um, it was with my mate Andrew Mundy, but my dad used to call him Andrew Tuesday. <laughs> so he was my he was my childhood friend, um, and my neighbor um, since I was like I want to say like six or seven. Um, right up into high school and um, we figured out that um, in order to keep a constant supply of like lollies and rental movies back when like VHS was the thing um, we we really needed to keep cash flow coming in right because pocket money of two dollars a week just wasn't going to cut <laughs> so we figured out that his dad um, really wasn't fond of mowing lawns or doing edges um, and we knew that um, we could we, we had a, we had a, like I suppose an opportunity there on our hands. So what we'd figured out is that we could wash we could sorry we could um, mow the front lawn one week and do the the rear lawn on the on the next week. So we had fifteen bucks from the front lawn and twenty five from the rear. <laughs> um, but on the on the slow weeks of fifteen, we'd also go and wash cars yeah. as well just to bring out the difference. So I think that was like my first like ever business business yeah. um, and then we just build, started building like random customers we'd go and like wash their cars or hey I saw you did uh, Jim's, Jim's car you reckon you could do my Falcon kind of thing so um, <laughs> that was that was my first taste of a business um, 
Yeah, just on with Andrew Monday. <laughs> Wait, so were the uh, were the supplies supplied already, or do you have to take? Oh, it look, the, to... the cost of goods sold um, was already realised in the business world. So like, we were getting handouts. We were just ripping off our, our dads, really. <laughs> oh, man, I love it! You uh, you gained the system entirely all the way through. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, how how was old were you when this happened? How old were you when you? Probably eight, eight, <laughs> nine, ten, maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was kind of. That was our first taste, but um, most kids were out like kicking a ball. We were scheming on like whose car could we wash <laughs> so we could eat more lollies. I love it too because I have this vision that you guys were deciding that if you invest some of your profits to give it to the other kids to mess, to, to dirty some of the cars in the street, that you could easily have <laughs> oh, a we weren't, we weren't that enterprising, but uh, you know, in hindsight, it's always twenty twenty, right? Oh, that's fantastic. I, I love the fact that I've no doubt that that was probably obviously those aspects, even though you didn't know it, it's obviously laid the seeds to, to where you are today. Yeah, man. What do you, what do your parents do? Do they come from that sort of entrepreneurial background or where did you sort of pick that up that all of a sudden, instead of kicking the ball around, you could um, be making money for, for lollies and rental movies? I think it's just hunger and always curiosity. Like, um, I think as a kid, like mom and dad always had professionals come and visit the house, um, like real estate agents or, mm-hmm. you know, financiers or people from the bank. And I, I was always like, I always was just curious about what other people did, like how they, um, how they got to where they were. Mm. Um, so I'd always rush out and see what they drove, see how they dressed, um, <laughs> what questions they asked. And I was just like really interested by anybody that was, um, that was doing stuff. Mm. Um, so, um, my, my parents, um, uh, not, I suppose, um, my mom's become more entrepreneurial in her, like in her later career. Um, and she's now got a wedding business and a, and a floristry business, but, mm-hmm. um, certainly not, um, grown up under entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. So then, um, so you got this venture. Yeah. Transition on, you finished grade school. What was your, what was your sort of your first foray into the, uh, into the real world there? Okay. So, um, when I was in my final year of, um, high school, we were doing our end of year exams. Somebody had put out on a picket like post next to the um like the exam hall um want to start a real estate career (laughs) and so like i don't know like i was working at a restaurant at the time and i wanted i wanted another job so Mm -hmm. i rang up and um i went and had an interview Mm -hmm. and um the interview went so well i was so flattered do you you remember what they asked you because obviously a man a a guy who's just graduating without a lot of experience i mean what sort of questions were they asking do you remember i wish i wish i I wish i could be a fly (laughs) in the room that day like today right now um i don't even remember but they kind of like painted this picture of like you know what it would be like to sell houses and like how exciting it would be to like work with somebody who was kind of you know doing really well in the area and so like i I think i walked in there thinking like i'm going to be putting up like for sale signs on the weekend Mm -hmm. And I walked out with a full-time job. <laughs> so, um, I deferred university, got in deferred university. Um, and my first year out of school, I, um, I put on a suit that was two times too large, um, took my green Lancer and parked it out the front <laughs> with my P plates. And, um, I was just a real estate PA. Wow. Yeah. So, um, that was my, my first like job out of school. And what I was really doing was, I was, being this dude's bitch like <laughs> his name was phil he was like the gun in the office everybody loved him and he was and he'd drive me around in his car um and sort of like we'd go look at listings and he taught me about like sales and like how to build relationships and the value of being genuine on and honest so 
I suppose a lot of, I learned a bit from him about like you know how to be real and human mm. um, and still get to where you wanted to be. He was number one in the office there. <laughs> um, but that, that, that career ended pretty quickly when the market downturned after like four months in the job. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, so so you're, you're still finding your tattoo, uh, you know, how to find your way around the office and then... Basically, yeah. yeah. Like the, the um, principal called me in the office and said, look, you're, um, you're the last in, you're the first out. Mm, yeah. Go get a bar job. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at that time, like I had all these suits and I was like, fuck, I've got, I've got like these nice suits yeah. that are like two sizes too big, but like, you know, I want to wear a suit now. So all my friends are going to uni or taking a gap year. I was like, no, fuck this. I want to go and like have a suit job. So I went and got a job in, in, in sales. Yeah. So you mentioned that you deferred university. What was your, what were you, did you have an eyesight of what you were going to do then yep. getting yeah. into uni or? So originally, um, like when I was at high school, I was like really, I loved doing the AV, like the audiovisual for oh, like yeah. all the like the productions and stuff like that. It got me a lot of time out of class. <laughs> no doubt, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and you know, I got the kudos of like what track you could play at the school kind of um, carnivals and stuff. Yeah. So I was the you know I was the the dude who got to choose what tracks were played. So yeah. that was pretty cool. So I always just like thought that I would go into like something like audio production or. Um, some sort of like audio creation. So the degree I got into was um, Bachelor of Music at the University of Wollongong mm. um, with the idea to do production. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. But then all of a sudden the real estate job came up and you had... Oh uh, man, I could wear a suit. Into, yeah, you get to wear a suit. Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> why would I take a university degree to be some sort of audio chump when I could wear a suit and move in sales? <laughs> and then with the prospect of going into retail, selling yeah. mobile phones, come on, like who would turn that down? <laughs> um, so, so yeah, go into that. So... You, you're first in, last out. Yeah. You got the suit. Yeah. Um, how does a guy with the experience of uh, four months working in a real estate agent, a bit of hospitality experience, what, is, uh, what does he do now? Well, he needs to, he's got a lifestyle to cover now, right? Yeah. Got those suits, man. <laughs> um, so I actually took a job with a, with a friend who was um, working sales, selling mobile phones mm-hmm. in like, um, in, in a suburb called Campbelltown in New South Wales. It's, um, it's where I grew up. And um, the guy who was interviewing me was like pretty sharp. His name was Tony. Um, he was really well groomed, um, but like a little bit dodgy the whole time. Um, and you know, when I reflect back on my time doing selling that stuff, like um, what it was was I was selling mobile phones to um, you know to the general public. And I learned how to sit people down, take them, take this person who's interested, sit them down and close them and make money like, mm-hmm. right there and there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like, you know, learning sales, like I think you often hear like what's one of the, you know, if you, if you, if you can't sell, you don't have a business, right? Mm-hmm. And if you can't generate cash, then your business is going to get choked. So um, I think I learned a lot of tactics and I learned a lot of skills that, I probably wouldn't apply to my business, mm-hmm. but I think I learned the foundations of building confidence mm. and like how to, you know, take somebody from prospect to, you know, to, to interested, to close, to mm-hmm. then, you know, um, repeat. So mm-hmm. a lot learned there um, and a lot of fun, like um, a lot of good times we had in that place. It was, a, it was one of the top five shops in the country. Um, yeah. 
So when you were going about this, the sales evolution, I imagine sure. you're a pretty charismatic guy. I'd imagine there's a certain element of that, of that. but <laughs> you, you go from, you go from real estate, working with this guy for a couple of months, starting to pick up how to build relationships. How did you, even though it's an incredibly valuable skill, this business development, how did you go at transitioning into that? Was it something that came naturally to you? To or sales? It, yeah, to sales. I think I just like to chat, man. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so like, so, so the idea with sales was, look, hey, just make people your friend, figure out what their problem is, offer them a solution and just be nice. Mm. That was it. That was the basics. Yeah. Um, and if I think about it, like that's pretty much what sales is, right? Like yeah. it's just build rapport, find a, you know, if somebody's got a, a, a problem, offer a solution. If you can help, be helpful. Mm, mm. So, so that's kind of the, like the basics. Like I learned how to strong arm, sit people down. I learned how to put pressure. I learned how to upsell, that kind of stuff. But making that transition, um, I think it was difficult to start with a little bit because like I'd never done that kind of thing before. Mm-hmm. But then, um, yeah, like it, it kind of fell... I fell into it because that's what I was around. That was the culture. So you were just picking up what other people were doing. Trial Man, and I was in a, I was in, I was in a bull pit. Yeah. Let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> like, like if there could be such a thing for people selling mobile phones <laughs> in, in the in the hood, um, but that's what it was like. It was a real kind of like boys' club of selling. Um, yeah, without sounding too lame, I hope. Yeah. Um, but it was just. Um, you know who can who can go out there and smash it, and that's that's what I learned how to do. Yeah, absolutely, just the drive. So, yeah. so then was that so being in that culture? Then was there sort of tutelage and mentorship through that, or was it just you were just picking up, soaking it up, and then just administer? You know, using those tactics. I, I, I learned a lot from um, not so much the manager, but one of the dudes who was really senior. Yeah. Um, he just I'd never I'd never like his name is Michael Wales. I'll never like I'll never forget somebody who could just talk and talk and talk mm. and talk and talk, but. He basically, like, if the guy, if you watched him, right, I used to think, like, it's like watching somebody, it's like watching an artificial intelligence engine. If not this, then that. Mm. So, like, he was like a rejection, like, animal. Like, you could give him any phrase and he'd know exactly how to, like, hook back around and, like, close. Yeah. Any, he could close anybody. <laughs> so, I just learned how to, like, watch him and overcome objections mm-hmm. and, like, listen, 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 listen. Like, he was an incredible listener. And then he, because he was operating in a level of intelligence that was just unfathomable by most in front of him, he just closed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think I learned that, um, I'm trying to pinpoint it, but I think I just learned how to ask better quality questions mm-hmm. um, from, from what you were hearing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so you're going about this, uh, so you're going selling mobile phones, learning, yep. obviously smashing it. Yeah. How, where does uh, where does Ryan go from there? Um, so my my parents. So I came home from work one day in my oversized suit, and um, <laughs> you know, killing it obviously because I smashed my KPIs, made my budget, covered my cost of seat, and I'm like, yeah, commission. Um, and my mum and dad, well, I remember, I forget, I was sitting down in the front, and I sort of looked at me and said, like, you know. We always thought you'd do something. <laughs> and they're like, that's so, that's so, that's typically the way with my parents. It's never, you should, you should, or it's, it's always, you know, we're not angry, but yeah. we're disappointed. We're disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> and I think like that, you know, guilt is probably a major motivator in my life because of that. But, um, they, um, they got, kind of just said, look, you know, you know, you got into uni, you didn't do it. So like, what are you doing? 
Um, so I kind of, that was a, I suppose, a catalyst for me pulling, pulling my finger out. And, um, and so I thought, you know what, I better, I better go and do something at university. Like that's, that's what I should do. Yeah. Um, so, so why did you jump? So you defer this audio visual yeah. to do real estate. Yeah. Needed a job. Yeah. Got a bankroll, the suits. Yeah. Selling so this is so we're a year in, we're over a year now. Yeah. So why didn't you go back to go back to the audiovisual path? Or it had elapsed to... too long. Ah, you can defer. Okay. For, you can only defer for twelve months. So ah, I would have okay. taken that route. Yeah. But because it had taken I'd taken so long, I had to start from scratch. Yeah. And my marks weren't good enough to get into uni. Uh, so I got one of these lucky window things where you could sit down and have an interview, like yeah. you and I are right now, yeah. and talk to somebody about your passion, <laughs> and like. <laughs> Sweet, you can do a degree. Done. Yeah. Here's the application. <laughs> so that's how I got into university originally, just like huh. chatting. Yeah. So it's no wonder I got, I, I ended up in sales. You're already kind of along and starting to be wired that way. Yeah, yeah. Build those skills. So yeah. Um. So I ended up going and figuring out the only way that I could get into university because no one would take my application. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'll try and get an IT. I'll try and get into. Um, Multimedia, I'll try and get into um, communications, or trying to get into something digital, and no one would take me. Mm. So, the only way I could get in was to get qualifications. So, I luckily did like a certificate two in IT in high school. So, mm. um, I figured out that if I got a certificate four, that would actually improve my chances of getting into university into mm-hmm. a degree. So, I, I started at TAFE and I did IT tech support. And then I figured out I could do a bridging course at night to get two Civiat 4s in six months with my mate Trent. Um, actually, Trent was one of the smartest dudes I've ever met. He actually, I think he just builds the internet for a gaming company now. He's really clever. <laughs> we used to have amazing, like, just fun nerd times. But anyway, um, so that's kind of like where my inner nerd came out and flourished. And like I did IT tech support and network admin at nighttime. So I did one in Campbelltown and the nighttime course in Macquarie Fields. Mm-hmm. And I just smashed that for six months just like because I wanted to get into uni because mm. I was taught I needed to. Absolutely. <laughs> One thing too I think you said that's really important and I want to come back to is the sort of idea around business development sales, right? Sure, sure. Because one thing I think that I've really come to realize over the last couple of years is that so often sales is such a dirty word. It's got a very visceral sort of like, ugh, you know, mobile guy wearing a suit two sizes too big. Yeah, in navy blue, by the way, orange tie. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) It was uniform by that time, okay? People people were just going to close and want to get away from that tie at that time. Oh, for sure, man. But it's, it's, I think it's really important and it's one thing that I think you have said that you obviously you were developing this skill for sales, but yeah. you were able to essentially employ a similar strategy or the, the fundamentals when you were obviously going through, you know, back to the beginning when you're talking university, you're just having a conversation, right? Having yeah. that passion. And I think that's, that's important. I'm sure something we'll talk about later, but it's just, it's such a fundamental skill and yeah, man. it's, it's, it's just something I think can be overstated enough in terms of how people use that and how people kind of need to rethink that. But anyway, for sure, man. so, so you, so you're smashing through, what happened next? So, um, I got into communications mm-hmm. degree in the University of Western Sydney. And um, I, I remember going in, I was like, so, and then I, I started that on my first day in advertising. I was like, hell yeah, I'm in university. Mm-hmm. So, I did, I did, I just did a year of it. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, I figured out that communication, communications was going to be a really good degree if I wanted a job where I was going to be sitting in an office. Um, but I really wanted to do more practical stuff. Mm-hmm. So, 
at the end of that first year, I made some amazing friends, some of which are you know, still in contact with today, obviously. Um, and I transferred to the College of Fine Art to do a degree in digital media. Mm-hmm. So, and, and the contrast is that when I sat down <laughs> in my first lecture at the College of Fine Art in Sydney, where everybody dresses from the future, yeah. right? it's hipster galore, um, and it's one of the edgiest, artiest schools in Sydney. It's um, probably top two for art. And um, I remember sitting in the first lecture hall going, I got to the end of it, and it was all about art theory, about the degree. Um, I never felt so out of place. Mm. And I thought to myself, fuck me, I am wasting my time here. This is not the degree for me. And I finished it two and a half years later. <laughs> so, so what did you envision yourself then? So when you were so, stepping into that, what was sort of that next step? Because we got this, we got this audio visual, we got this tech support aspect of it, sure. and then you get in. So what was, what was that I, bridge there between? You mean like the the indicator of discomfort or the, the vision for yourself? What sure. Was that? What you I, I always thought that I'd go into video or I'd go into advertising or I'd do like commercials or work on Australian film or something like that. That's kind of, that's the vision I had for myself, like coming out of, um, coming out of school and then coming into, um, like maybe it was audio that I started with, but some sort of production or creating something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got to uni and it was just, maybe I picked the wrong course. Maybe I wasn't, <laughs> maybe I never was destined to, to fit in or maybe I never gave it a proper crack, yeah. but I just didn't feel like, what that like what was being put in front of me was was who I was Mm -hmm. and there was this massive disconnect between like you know what I thought I wanted what it actually was and then this like over overarching factor of my ego Mm -hmm. um so it was so what I had vision envisioned for myself was like being behind a camera and doing some really cool shit Mm -hmm. going and like working on productions but like the degree was not like that. I can tell you that right now. It was 3D, 3D animation. <laughs> um, how to take a photo with black and white and develop it. Yeah. Um, how to use Photoshop. How to make a movie on really low budget. Yeah. Um, and how to use like Pro Tools and, you know, piece together something audio wise. So fundamentally, like really good. And mm. people that I actually went and studied with are doing some amazing stuff like all over the world with creative stuff. But I don't know. I just didn't feel like me. But, day you still, but you still finished it though. Yeah, I did. I'm stubborn. I <laughs> see. <laughs> it's just the Taurus in me. It's just like, you know what? I've started this. I'm not going to do one year of a degree and then not finish another one. So I was like, you know what? I'll stick it. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Uh, I have to say too, just for obviously everybody listening, I'll try to take some pictures of it, but you do have some beautiful photos around, which I, I love the fact you've shown, you've accented those. So, uh, Thanks man. It was the first thing I showed you in this place, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Accent. By the way, I took that. <laughs> Acc- yeah, I like that. I took that. Fun that. Don't worry. I got that. So. In a helicopter. Just to let me know, there's two and a half years of uh, a degree for these photos. So. Yeah, that's it. I uh, love it. So you're stubborn, you uh, you plug through. Were you doing anything while you were doing um, uni at this time? Any, yeah, any work um, at all, it was around about... Look, I actually really like creative stuff and I like making things. Mm-hmm. And like making things for me, like now that I talk about it, is actually probably a thematic, like through things that I've done. Like mm-hmm. if I can think of, like, you know, if I can create something in my mind's eye and then visualize it and experience it and then build it and see it... Mm-hmm. That is probably one of the most satisfying things for me, like, and like I can think of. Mm-hmm. And usually it comes from things in my heart or like that I'm passionate about. That's what I have historically like um, done 
and done well at. Um, so the thing, I, I really liked Apple computers. Like I came from this tech support world and um, like I was using PCs and like I, you know, I built PCs and I broke PCs and I had monitors in my house and like I could game and things like that. And I used to get LAN parties as a kid, like nerd out. But um, yeah, I, when I was, when I was doing the degree, um, a job came up for working at the Apple store. And at that time, like I hadn't launched in Australia yet. And so it was like a, I remember looking at the advert and it was, um, it was online and it was, um, it was a photo of the Fifth Avenue store. Have you ever mm. seen the Fifth Avenue store? It's a glass cube yeah. on top of Fifth Ave. And it Beautiful. was like this glowing, um, this glowing logo. And, and so I didn't know anything about Apple retail. I'd never been to an Apple retail store. So I just started researching the shit out of it and I was just like, all right, so what is it? And so my, my impression was that, you know, you get to wear a lanyard, you get to be yourself and wear like Nike kicks. Um, you can work 24 hours a day because it's open 24 hours a day in Fifth Ave. Um, and I can like learn more about Apple stuff. So I was like, sweet, I'm going to do this. So I just threw everything I could at the interview and I actually took my MacBook Pro in and I showed like all my video projects mm. to the interviewer and she was like, she was lapping it up. And I was like, yeah, look at this thing I made. Like, I, I just want to work here. And I think like, I was probably like overly passionate, but I'd probably work to my advantage because, um, so, so I started, I, I, um, I was part of the new store opening team for Apple retail in Australia, which is pretty, pretty special actually. So, um, yeah. So at uni, started working for Apple and I was part of the NSO team there. Um, and it was, um, a really cool place. It was, there's a lot of people who kind of, I suppose everybody's probably got their own opinion about Apple, but my experience was this. Um, I was part of a team that was probably world-class in prepping retail for mm. Australia. So there was a group of people who had been flown out from all over the world. They were best of breed, right? The mm-hmm. NS, the new store opening team was probably the coolest job in Apple, I think, mm-hmm. right? Cause you just got to run in, teach people what it was like, um, clap your hands, you know, have lots of drinks and just celebrate. Yeah. And that's, that was the culture, right? Um, it was all the nitty gritty and, um, management kind of like cog turning stuff that came down the line. But those first few months of working for Apple, like it was just so fun. Mm. Um, and like learn about a big engine and what it was like to sell an experience mm-hmm. inside of a, a big engine. Yeah. So how did your, how did your, um, looking back on that experience, what do you think were some of your big takeaways? Obviously learning to sell in a big engine, but were there other aspects that you were beginning to distill? Cause obviously we talked about, you've, you've got this sales background, yep. you've got this creative aspect, yep. um, technology, a real love of that. So these sort of three things that are sort of intermingling yeah. that kind of common in that. And it kind of, well, those kind of things fused together and it fused together quite naturally with Apple because I got to do sales and then um, the BD side of things came out because I quickly figured out that there was no really, really paying too much attention to business customers. Mm-hmm. And there was one business dude there um, who was in the team. So I just kept on feeding him leads because mm-hmm. I, I just—that's what I was trained to do, right? Walk onto the floor, identify, up, create an opportunity, close, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. Um, I'll tell you about that in a sec. But like, what did I? What did I learn? Um, what did I pick up on? Like thematically. Um, Man, the, the people side of things is probably, at Apple is probably where I started to really appreciate the value of good people. Mm. I think a lot of people who work at Apple in retail probably aren't on the best ding. Like cash wise, mm-hmm. it's not a place you go to to go and retire. Mm-hmm. But it is a place you go to if you love something 
and you want to be a part of something and you, you know, believe in what it is, right? Mm. Everybody who works for Apple's kind of got like a fanboy story. There's no one who walks in there and like, oh, i got a Microsoft tablet and yeah. like, I'm only Microsoft. It doesn't work that way, right? <laughs> or the Samsung phone. And yeah, it, do, it, it doesn't work it. like that. Like, yeah. you, you go in there because you have this story about, you know, your first experience and how Mac is so easy or, you know, how you're a creative and you couldn't live without anything mm. else or, you, you know, used to sit up and watch the Steve videos and when he released stuff... Um, I actually went later in life and you know, saw him do his last um, product release, which is really cool wow. and really sad at the same time. But um, yeah, I was a fanboy and I suppose, look, the value of you know sales and then selling experience because that was a lot of what it was in mm. selling the store because you sold the store before you sold the product. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really cool. So, I learned the value of that. I learned a lot about um, people and like... Not necessarily how to pick good people, but what it felt like to work with good mm. people. That mm. was really cool. And we were there was a lot of A players. Like if you looked at if you looked at like a film set, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of directors and DOPs there, right? Mm. And I think that to like that's pretty smart strategic move for you know for multinational like that launching in a new country, you've got to get your A players out because mm. they've got to lead the culture right. So yeah, that was one of the other things. And it was I suppose a combination of that love, as you say, for like techie geeky things you know creative stuffs because i got to talk to lots of people about their projects Mm -hmm. um and be around people who are doing that and yeah like just good good old-fashioned service like that was fun Mm -hmm. like that absolutely fantastic so uh i think you took a uh a bit of an interesting turn after this don't you didn't you um yeah yeah i mean I, i moved into the business team and we did some there's some cool stuff there and I um, probably moved, I, I worked my way up in Apple and then um, worked in the tech startup world for a little bit mm-hmm. um, and then a friend and I that I used to work with um, in the tech side of things at Apple, we um, we just we just said one day, we just said, fuck it, do you want to start a hospitality business? <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. Hang on a second, hang on a second. So, I, I got to dive over to this. So, was it really just... Turning around and saying, do you want to start a hospitality business? There, there must have been something that sort of... <laughs> All right. There's a lot of whining from him about like, I remember, oh, people don't pay their invoices on time. Like, wouldn't it be better if we just get the cash in the, in the moment? I was yeah. like, cash flow, ding. <laughs> um, no, I, and I actually made pizza as a kid. Like, um, and I like coffee as well at the same time. I was like, I really like coffee machines. Like, I like coffee. I want to learn about coffee. He's like, oh, I've got a friend who's got a roastery. Like, we could do that. So we looked at all these spots. I remember, like, we used to drive around and look at people's like listings for sale of businesses, and we'd go in like, you're like, all right, this one's got a belt oven, and like, you know, they're, they're not making any money, but it's in a good area. Like, we can just go and we'll just watch the shop. So we just went and sat and watched the shop. <laughs> what they did, how many phone calls they got. Yeah. Um, we went and looked at like a little place that was trying to sublet a cafe in the front of North Sydney on Pacific Highway, and I remember my parents really liked that idea because. We could take it on. It was $11,000 a year in rent, but it was wow. only for weekends, Yeah. right? So, we could still keep our job. It was really safe. <laughs> and if we'd have fucked it up, then it didn't yeah. matter. It's okay, right? You can go play. Yeah, yeah, go, yeah. go play Brewster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you go can go do Brewster. that for like, you know, $150 a week. Enjoy. <laughs> so, um, we looked at lots of different opportunities. You know, we looked at places in, in um, where people had bottomed out. We looked at places that are um, people looking to get out. We looked at places um, just like... We, we, we didn't have much cash, right? Mm. And we both came from tech and we both were interested in um, hospitality, but 
my business partner Dave was really good at like going and digging and just mm-hmm. asking uncomfortable questions that you would like to have asked before you started in a business. Mm. So we did a lot of homework um, and we started making friends with people who were in the industry that we were trying to get into Mm -hmm. and just asking questions. And one of the things I noticed was that when you work in in IT or you work in tech, you'll find that if you ask your competitor a question about what they do or why they do it, you get a very guarded answer Mm. and it's, you'll get something that's strategic it's polite, yeah. but it'll shut you down pretty quick. Um, but when you start talking to people about hospitality businesses and what it's like, and you know, what is this good, or how, what do you, what system do you use for this, or you know, what do you think of this, um, this place over here, or do you, do you like that machine? Um, open-ended questions give you big answers and give you a big window into people's like real life. And I was quite taken by that because it was very refreshing mm. um and I, I think one of the things i missed about like the um the bricks and mortar world like of like you know wearing a suit even though it was navy blue and two sizes are too large <laughs> um was that you don't really get that real connection with people and when you go into hospitality like if you can think to like the last time you went in to get a cat a coffee or you know a pizza the conversation is not superficial it might be like for the first layer, mm. but you can actually ask a genuine question, question and get a genuine answer. So, it was really cool. Um, so, we didn't say, no, fuck it, let's just open a pizza shop. But we did find a spot that was a cafe that had gone broke, nearly. And the husband and wife were running it. Both were pastry chefs and they were running two shops and they just were running rings around themselves. They weren't doing well. Mm. So, we offered them some money to take it over. And um, it was basically for the fittings and fixture and to buy a cheap lease. Mm-hmm. And it was in the suburb of Marrickville. It was in a busy corner. It was in, like in the top 20 busiest, busiest intersections in Sydney. Um, and then we flipped a coin. Pizza shop or cafe? <laughs> <laughs> so there was no spreadsheets of looking at the capital expenditure and previous experience. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> no way. Let's just feel it. Let's just do it. Let's wing it. So, um, turned up pizza shop. Pizza so, shop. Yeah. So, we went and looked at all these ovens and we tried, we, you know, we spreadsheeted it. We yeah. wanted to, um, we wanted to cost it and do it properly. But, um, our approach probably wasn't as methodical as what, you know, <laughs> as what it would be now, knowing what I know now. Yeah. So, I, I got to ask as well, too. I think this is a really interesting part. So, you go to start a venture that you've got really no experience yeah. at, at all kind of thing. Right? Yeah. You know, you got a bit of a love for aspects of it. Yeah. How did you, you, you said that your business partner was good at asking those uncomfortable questions. Yeah. Were you literally just going into other businesses in the area and saying, hey, we want to open a pizza, so- pizza shop slash... We were a little more coy. We were a little more coy than that. We would go to suppliers and ask them about such and such a place we were thinking of buying and mm-hmm. how they work with them and what was it like. Were you just finding just Google and looking at different different aspects yeah, like, of the business? Or, or, or we would go in and um, talk to the neighbors of the business that was for sale next door and ask how they were going and mm-hmm. what they thought they were needed to do, <laughs> um, which is cheeky, right? Yeah. Um, but like we didn't want to, I suppose like the lesson that I, that I have learned out of that is that like do your homework. Mm-hmm. Like... <laughs> um, I certainly went into it with just a belief that I could do it mm. and that was it. Like, and everything else that, that followed was just, um, either learning on the spot or, um, 
you know, advice from people, some which I should take, some which I shouldn't. <laughs> but um, I just had a picture in my mind of what it was going to be and how and like what it was going to be like when it was going. Mm-hmm. And so I just I just did everything I needed to do to to get it to that mm-hmm. point. So like you know things like. We shut it down for two weeks, put newspaper on the walls and wrote, coming soon. <laughs> um, High fancy marketing. Uh, marketing man, we were like, like, I was like, can we put a question mark on there? Like, wouldn't that be awesome? And then like open one que- one piece of um, newspaper at a time so people can, you know, peek through. And I was like, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Dave was like, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> okay, all right, all right, all right. So like, can we do coming soon? Yeah, yeah, you can do that. Cool. Um, so I was always like, you know, the ideas guy, I suppose, when it came to like look, feel, design, experience, mm. um, from from all that kind of stuff. So we painted the whole thing black. We got all of our friends to help with us. We did some dodgy stuff, like <laughs> we we closed the major intersections of the road illegally <laughs> to import to to um, unload an oven which we had import, imported from Milan with a twenty with a two ton Manitour that we hired to have in a thirty minute window. <laughs> to lift it inside of a shop window with an eight millimeter clearance. (laughs) And then we had to drop it onto like, um, onto the ground with two pallet jacks underneath it to then wedge it up a set of like up a, up a lip to get it into place. Took 10 people, a couple of cases of beer and a lot of like, and like, I remember Dave walking on the street and be like, the guy goes, you got road closure? He goes, mate, I got this. He pulls out two high-vis vests and goes, here's traffic, here's control. You're up there, I'm down here. Here we go. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, we just just said fuck it. So, we just did it. Like, we didn't know what we were doing. Um, But we thought, oh, we want a pizza shop and we know we need to get a wood fire oven because we went and talked to everybody who had every type of oven. We learned Mm -hmm. what we needed to have. So, we just started piecing it together as best we could. Mm. So then at what point were you, so you're, you're at Apple, you're doing, I'd imagine, okay, you're yeah. very comfortable you're doing. Yeah. Um, obviously a, f- a few gripes about the role. You finally find the, the pizza shop. Was yeah. it just a matter of, that's it, let's do it. Everything, the, the things just kind of slotted into play. And between, just, the, between that point, between Apple and there? Or? Yeah, yeah, between Apple and I, you. I you think the big, the big thing is that like, I could see that my future was being mapped out for me at Apple mm. and I didn't want to fit into the big engine. It wasn't for me. Yeah. Um, I I knew that I'd have a future there and I knew that I would do like, okay there. Like I worked into business development then I helped train team and then I built the team. We did like tens of millions of dollars. <laughs> um, and then I had really cool things where I was going and training new business managers. Yeah. Um, and so like the, the role was growing for me and I was growing in it and I was learning about account management and Salesforce and high-fiving people and KPIs, <laughs> um, you know, and how to make stuff work in a big organization. Yeah. But for me, that's not what I wanted. I didn't feel like I had enough impact. Yes. I, didn't, I didn't have this like connection to, you know, I just, I didn't see a purpose yeah. and I didn't see that I was going to get what I wanted, even though I don't think it was really clear with me in my mind's eye about what that was. Mm-hmm. I'm still trying to find that, but mm-hmm. it's, um, I just didn't see myself fitting into this big engine. So when I went into a tech startup, I got offered nearly double the money and a new opportunity. So I took it. And then I realized in, you know, in, in the tech slash IT slash retail world that I just didn't want to have like, I didn't want to wear fancy shoes anymore. Mm. I was, ha- I actually found myself in the pizza shop working at a 400 degree oven with some of my mates at night in the burbs of Marrickville wearing a cool shirt that said, nom is the word. <laughs> um, 
Just loving life. Yeah. And what was the name of the uh, of your uh, pizza joint again? So, so, so it was called Nom Pizza, like N-O-M, like Nom, 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 Nom. Oh, man, I love and that. we used to have Italians come in and be like, so, eh, what does the Nom mean? Is <laughs> 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 mean something because it was in like capital, capital N-O-M, it was arched yeah. over like a half moon. It, uh, the Italians are walking, so it's like big letters in mezzo luna. Who is a nom? <laughs> I love it. And, and you got these two kids. Just... And you just got these two, like, pretty much white dudes just yeah. standing there just going, uh, it's just, you know, like, you know, the yeah. cookie monster? Eh? You know, like, a cookie monster sesame machine? Like, nom, 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 nom. They're like, it's Jock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first customer I walked in, he was the local creeper, and um, he had, like, more real estate in that suburb than any, like, most people. And he, he, he walked in. Eh, one everything, everything, supreme, everything. <laughs> I just, I'll never forget our first customer. Thank God I had my old boss there, guy who I, who worked like I worked with as a kid, like making pizzas. He was like a saving grace. I wanted to sell T-shirts and merch, and he was like, "No, no, 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 mate, Spacker, you need to sell pizzas. Focus on selling pizzas." So, man, I learned a lot in that business. Like I learned how you don't always make money mm. and um, so you actually have to have a good product. <laughs> like we, we, we taught ourselves how to make pizza on YouTube. Oh, well, I was going to ask, so I want to, I want to kind of go back for a sec because sure. I've got this also this vision that, okay, so we got this, we shut down the, one of the what, eight busiest intersection yeah. in Sydney. Yeah. You get the pizza no. oven in there. Top 20. Yeah. Top 20. Top 20. Um, you, you obviously you're pulling on all your sort of visual aspects in terms of looking at creating an experience and that yeah. and starting to draw on those aspects. So you got the pizza oven. Yeah, you're ready to go. Yeah, never made pizza in your life. Uh, oh, not not really. Not really. professionally. Not, not, yeah. not, not with wood fire and not fresh pizza. No way. Yeah, for sure. So how did you how did you make that transition? I'm sure, and, and I think to where I'm kind of coming with this question is, I'm sure there's lots of people listening who. Who've got a passion, or, or or would love to go do something that's different than what they're doing now, but maybe they don't have any experience in that, right? They've got they've got no real clue how to start a cafe. That's, that's a great example, or, or start that restaurant, or go off and start that that retail business. But no idea. How did you? I can tell you how it? I did it, but I don't know that it's good advice. So fire away. So I did it by just being a bulldog. So I did it by by saying to myself, well, "We're going to do this." So we better learn. Mm. Um, so my advice to people is different. But what I did was we got the oven in, having never made this kind of thing before. And then we just trialed recipes and we researched recipes and we made stuff at home. And first we made pizzas that were shaped in squares. Then we made pizzas that were shaped in oblongs. And then we did ones that were really thick, then really thin. Then we got people around and we got people really boozed, just trying our stuff. Then we got so excited when we lit the oven that we brought all our mates over and we're like, taste this. So we did that. Like right up until like when we opened, we were just experimenting mm. and nothing short of it. Right until the moment we were doing the menu, when we were fitting the shop out, when we were getting all the signage ready, when we were getting the permits and everything like that. We did not know how to make a commercial product. I can tell you that right now. Mm. We didn't know about a workflow. Like I, I remember going to people, those two who had a cafe named Rodney Jones and I I followed him out to the um, to the market one morning at like four in the morning. He was shocked as shit when I showed up because I was like, I was this I was this dude who was in his cafe and I was like, man, I want to have a cafe, like cafe, cafe. And he's like, you've got it, Ryan. You've got the flair. You can do it. So I was like, cool, what do I need to do? And he goes, well, come to the market with me. 
So I followed him to the market at like four in the morning and he was like, this is where I buy this, this is where I buy this. And I was just trailing him. I didn't know what I was there for, mm-hmm. but I was just willing to do whatever people said in order to get it, right? So we looked at YouTube, like we, we researched stuff, like we just tried mm-hmm. <laughs> and we failed and then we tried and we, and we got better. Like um, the thing that was the big helping, like the thing that actually made it work for us was actually hiring in an Italian chef that we knew who taught us how to do stuff. Because in the first two weeks we opened, the product was crap. Mm. And our friends were too nice to, tell, yeah. to not tell us otherwise, right? Yeah. So, we were getting like mixed reviews and then we got Francesco in from um, this really reputable restaurant. And he was like, guys, 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 you've got to make the dough right. And he showed us how to make dough. Like, we were putting the... We're putting the flour in, then adding water and then like mixing it and then like serving it the same day. Like you don't do that. You put the water in first, then you put the flour and the salt kills the yeast. You don't put the, you don't put the salt, then the yeast. Like we didn't know this stuff, man. Yeah. Like, so what's my advice to people who are sitting there who are, you know, thinking about doing this sort of thing, who don't know what to do next? My advice is this. Figure out what you want to do or put, your, put you know, visualize yourself in where you want to be. Then go and find the best place that does that and volunteer your services. And if you can go in there and do that for a while, and by a while I mean, you know, a couple of months, and you can slog it out on a day you're sick or you can do it in a time where you're not feeling yourself and you can still rock up and still enjoy yourself, then you know it's for you. Mm, mm. It's more time, there's more time invested and more laborious and doesn't sound as fun and interesting and risque but it's a, probably a, a solid way to actually figure out whether something is right for you. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of conventional wisdom I've read around. If you want to if you want to do something, go volunteer your time with somebody who's, who's doing it. Yeah, Rock and up. steal their ideas and do it the way they yeah. did. I did it more bullishly because I was probably a little bit arrogant um, and I just wanted to do my own thing. Like, I just wanted to prove that I could do it. And, um, you know, it was really worrying when people open you're about to open a shop and they're like good luck good luck and I was like oh this is really nice and worrying at the mm. same time um, we had no idea like mm. we put we thought that Saxby's soft drinks from the 80s were going to be cool so we just stocked only Saxby's mm. they didn't sell <laughs> I don't even know what Saxby's is I said, this is an iconic Australian brand of like <laughs> shitty soft drinks that we thought we could revive yeah um, turns out people just want a good quality pizza like <laughs> They don't want the Saxby's experience. Um, they just want to have the, their own booze and they want a really good quality product. Mm, mm. The things I love too about this story, I think is, to me, it's, it's, it's one of the critical elements is the fact that there's, there's a feedback loop that you guys created in the business as well too, right? Where you, you, didn't, you didn't necessarily know what was going on, mm. but you were, you were okay with adapting and changing and getting that feedback and moving on. And I think that's something where I know myself, even starting this podcast, where... I think, I'm, I think I might have told this story in a previous podcast, but I spent, I agonized over a Google Doc for months. Right. Months over every element of the podcast, every sure. element of it. And one of the things I got from talking to people, very similar conversation to these without the recording, was there comes to a certain point, you just have to do it. Yeah, man. Right? There's a planning aspect. Like, you know, I did the YouTube and, uh, you know, I did the research and I spoke to a few people. At, at some point, you've got to just back yourself and have a crack. Absolutely. And um, then as you start to do it, and I think I've learned more in the last couple of months of actually recording these conversations and actually having it than I have from 
months sitting in front of a, a blinking line yeah, on man. my Google spreadsheet, right? Or my Google Doc kind of thing. So Having a standard of perfection is the lowest standard you can have because it is indicative of the fact that you believe there's nothing better to do. Mm, mm. Oh. I love it. I love it. I think as well, too, one of the things that, one of the, one of the sayings that popped in my head is half the battle is just showing up. Yeah, man. Right? You just, just show up. To I just think you go to the gym, right? Put your shoes on. Yeah, hundred percent, absolutely, hundred percent, hundred percent. It's not how much broccoli that was raw you had to feed yourself. And for guys listening, that's how I actually remember meeting Dustin: is squatting one hundred and forty kilos and then rocking up to a nutritional seminar, eating raw broccoli and crunching his way through the whole seminar. And then the guy leading it, Ben, talks about. Actually, I don't think you should eat raw broccoli. You, you don't, don't have get, to eat raw broccoli. You're not going to get any of the macronutrients from it, and <laughs> yeah. it's really bad for your digestive system. <laughs> Dustin still eats it. Crunch <laughs> in the background as I'm sitting there eating my bag of broccoli. <laughs> oh, man, I'll, I'll have you know. I, uh, I mixed it up now. I've got some carrot and some caps coming. Good there, man. So good man. Like, they get up a notch. So, so you're running this pizza joint. Yep. You guys obviously get the magic sauce, get the formula yep. sorted out. How did... Where did that go? Because you were at that, you were around that for a couple of years, didn't you? I was just a year. So what I, the, the phrase I use is this. Um, I did it. I had it for a year. I made some dough, and then <laughs> oh. and then I travelled. Oh. <laughs> Lame. Um, doesn't have the same ring to it as Andrew Mundy, does it? <laughs> that was so good. Um, but look, no, we. I actually turned out that the partnership didn't work mm. for a variety of different reasons. Um, we got to a point where. We just couldn't continue together, and um, it was best for me to one of us to move on. Um, we both decided that we both sort of said that we both either of us were happy to stay or go. Um, I put forward an offer to get bought out, and that offer was accepted. And um, within a couple of months, I moved on. Mm. So that was my first like dabble on my own, and um, we were as in a partnership, but. Um, yeah, it was my first foray into hospitality and business. Mm, mm. So you get bought out. Yep. Travel. Travel? Yeah. Did three months of the trip I never did when I was wearing my suit. I <laughs> went and did the European trip with my brother yeah. and his mate. Went and did this tour around the world in Europe mainly. Like, only lasted eight weeks. It was meant to be ten, but I had a ticket to, I had a ticket to go to Oktoberfest and I just... I, I couldn't I couldn't lift a beer glass by the time I got there mm. <laughs> so I came home early um, but yeah I, I travelled and did something like 15, 16 countries in that period wow. um, it was really fun and kind of got that 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 bucket list item ticked mm. off um, and one of the dudes I'm working with now Joey I actually met him um, backpacking at a um, festival in Brussels wow yeah there we go so you did a bit of traveling. So what did you do when you got back? What did you find yourself doing? Um, so when I came back, I obviously had sold the business. And while I was had the pizza shop, I was I had a coffee machine there in the shop. And I used to love making coffee there. I had no idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. But I was just keen to just have a play. Um, and I'd worked in a, with a guy who was a customer... And then I ended up working for him for free and then started working doing coffee carts with him. And then I basically, when I came back, I was just, for lack of a better term, slutting myself around on the Sydney cafe scene, just trying to get experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very difficult to be 
mid twenties, not have any experience and want to work in coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's anybody out there listening and you can, re- um, I hope you're not related to that at this point in time because it's tough. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I was definitely keen and I wanted to, you know, support my, myself, but I also wanted to, to learn more. So, and we worked in like a whole range of different places. Like I worked in a, a really shit cafe where we're serving Lavazza coffee that didn't grind on demand and did everything pre-ground, but was all about kind of speed. And then I worked in a you know really big cafe that was family orientated, massive volume and seven days a week and um, learn a lot about speed and like getting things stuff out out on volume. I worked in another place that was called the Purple Moose and was owned by a friend and they had like the best of everything, but I was never allowed behind the machine because I was never good enough. <laughs> um, and at the same time, um, I was with some friends and they had this um, officer working in, and they were actually people I've worked with in the past and we started this other company called Proxima. And at the time, um, I also started Coffee on Cute, which is my current business. So I started Proxima with these guys and it was originally doing um, using iBeacon, which for those who don't know, um, it's a technology that Apple launched where you could interact with a beacon that was like a, like a, like a homing device, like a, like a little lighthouse. And when you, if you had an app installed that and you walked up to that little device, um, might actually prompt an action. So it could be a video or it could be like a, um, like a picture or it could be an action that actually happens in that application. So we started developing for this and we're like, this is really cool. We do a proof of concept. And so like Dan was the tech dude. Seb was the smart guy who could do design, but also strategy. And I was the sales dude. So were you guys just sitting around, obviously you knew these guys beforehand. What was sort of the, the tip in to start this business? Was there- So they, they started it themselves. Mm-hmm. And then I came in a couple of weeks in. Mm. So they had an idea. They were very, very, very intelligent, and very accomplished in what they've done respectively prior to us working together and we worked together in another tech startup um, and I had a lot of respect and above all else like two of my best mates mm. and we just wanted to do something cool now they um, we worked together and, and we've, we've been working together for the last few years it, um, so we did that and then we went we pivoted we took the, the we turned uh, into a platform we did some event management stuff we did some digital signage stuff um, and all the while I was growing coffee on queue, um, which is my current business. So yeah, we, um, I can talk to you about, you know, what that divide was, but, um, I suppose at the same time I started the queue and I started the queue, um, because I always wanted to live in Melbourne (laughs) and again, bullish, but, um, I started it like this I was working for a guy in Sydney and he was doing coffee carts for conventions and trade shows and I just thought look you know I really like what you're doing because it's got this element of um, coffee it's got this element of customer service in there it's got this element of like being on stage because it was always a different environment every day doing events Mm -hmm. and um, a little bit of tech because you know I could still use some of my Apple things but (laughs) um, it was kind of a blend of things that I'd you know grown to love and I saw it to be a not good opportunity. So I was like, look, I want to do this in Melbourne. So I brokered a deal to buy one of his old vans and one of his old, old dinosaur co- coffee machines and carts. Hmm. And I drove that coffee cart and van, which he warned me not to drive from Sydney to Melbourne in, <laughs> in the car, but I did it. 
and uh, I had a DVD player in it. And the DVD player wasn't hooked up to the <laughs> to the handbrake, so you could actually watch DVDs. But I didn't do that too much. I didn't do that too much. But um, so I drove it, and um, when I got here to register the car, I actually had to have a Melbourne address. So what I did to, to get to get registered with Vic Roads with Vic Plates because I thought no one's going to hire me if I don't have Vic Plates. So. We re- I registered the van to the long-term car park at Tullamarine Airport. <laughs> and I was like, that's my address. Yeah. Um, so I did that. And I parked the van in the multi-story car park. And I got it for like $4 a day. <laughs> and then I left the coffee cart in the back of it with stock. Like, you know, non-perishable stock. Um, and then, if these are any of my customers listening in the early days, it was non-perishable. <laughs> and then um, I flew home back to Sydney. And so I went about like working approximate, doing sales. And at the same time, we set up a WordPress site and I started taking bookings for doing coffee carts in Melbourne. Mm. And I knew that like I wanted to be in Melbourne, but um, I just, so I, so I just, I just started doing it. <laughs> so I, um, I'd flew, I'd fly down, take a booking, fly down, do the job, go home. Mm. And I did that for a good four months until I moved down to Melbourne. Um, so when you were doing that, I know you talked about you sort of, uh, you use the word, you slotted yourself out to working with other people, yeah, obviously, yeah. To, to looking at what this guy did that you bought the van off of and sort of understanding the model, understanding yeah. how it's all coming together with those first four months, was it just about building the business or were you refining or starting to build Ryan's take on a um, little look? Okay. To be frank, a little bit, of, most of it was like, I'm going to make a living, mm. right? So, to begin with, it was, I'm going to do everything I can in order to secure this and actually see if it's going to work. Because mm. the big thing was a big test to start with, right? Knowing what I know now, like, I, it's just math mm. and probability, right? And applying a, a few different little theories. Yeah. But essentially, it was like, will this work? Is there a market down here? Will I actually survive? Will I have any money? Will I need to go get another job? Can I do any to do, do two things at once? Do I have to work day and night? Like, oh my God. <laughs> so I just did everything I could in order to get bookings. Yeah. And so I moved down here with my um, girlfriend at the time. And, you know, I, I still had the job at Proxima. I still had this like fancy title and still had a salary coming mm-hmm. um, and a good opportunity. And we we're doing cool shit. Um, this edgy tech company. Um, but it turned out that like one booking a week went to two, then three, mm. then one every day. And then I put somebody on and kind of started growing. How were you growing it initially working from Sydney? So there was a good sort of 90 to 120 days where I was flying up and coming, going up and down. And then the nature of the business is that in December and January, not much happens. Mm-hmm. And then once that February period hit, I was like, all right, I'm moving. So I, I bit the bullet and I just moved down. Um, and I did it on a shoestring <laughs> because most of the money that I made out of the pizza shop, I threw straight into vehicle, mm. cart, advertising, yeah. website, uniform, product, um, flying. <laughs> <laughs> so I pretty much came down here with like, you know, a sniff of cash mm. and I was like, well, I just got to make it work. So that's what I did. Noticing that's a real theme for yourself. You, you, you really jump in with both feet. Man, if and I haven't got my back up against the corner, I'm not. I'm. I'm not happy. But do you think? But I'm curious though too, because as I say that, I that is very much a theme. Do you know that about yourself? Is that something where you go, you burn the boats because 
that's the only way that, you, that you're going to work on it? Or I know is- that if I know that when I'm not challenged, I'm not going to get the best out of it. And I know in order to feel challenged, I need to feel a bit of pain. Mm. So um, if I'm not feeling pain, then I'm comfortable and then things just stagnate. So I think that my natural state is to want to, is to, is to find out how I can turn pain into pleasure. And mm. it's, it's, it's usually from avoiding, you know, I suppose, you know, there's something, what's the phrase that something motivates us is either the avoiding, avoiding yeah, pleasure. Tony Robbins, you either avoid pain or you run towards pleasure. Yeah. And most often than not, we're more wired to, um, try to get away from pain. That's we're motivated I'm, to run away from pain. I'm definitely motivated like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then it's been a deliberate practice then to, to yep. burn the boats yeah, essentially man. through your whole entire journey. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> willfully, you're a bit of a masochist throwing yourself willfully in the bay. Uh, I, I know that like, if I think about like as a kid, like, you know, I performed best on stage when I was nervous. So when I was underprepared, I performed best in, um, you know, in, like I did theater and I did like TV stuff and like, I just... I love the thrill. I love excitement. I love, that's why I like doing the carts to start with. Cause it was like, okay, got to get this thing bumped in. It's got to happen in 60 minutes. Mm. Everything's going to be read up and then ready. And then you've got to be serving 150 people in 90 minutes. Like that thrill was mm. cool. Right. Cause so mini, mini, you know, burning the boat, as you say, every day, that thrill, that excitement was similar to sales. It was similar to being, similar to being on stage. It was similar to being in a cafe when you're being pumped, but I was replicating that for, my, for, my, for myself in a business. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting because I've definitely noticed as I've, as I've come into my, to my own, um, I can push myself to do things, but I need to be able to create a bit of the pain as well too. So, you know, that's where I, I create lists. I create, okay, I've got to get this done today. And you're looking at the goal wall for guys, there's, for guys listening, there's a roll of butcher's paper that's mounted to the top of my roof. And every month it gets pulled down and it's just like a list of shit that I write up there for myself. <laughs> are you going to be able to take a picture of that? Is uh, well, I haven't done April. What date are we uh. at? Um, it's a fourth. I haven't written them up yet. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's actually how I, that's my guiding light. Usually. So, so I do want to dive into that a bit. So, so you, and uh, for everybody listening, I'll take a picture of this after to see what it's like. But basically, so you pull that down and you write a goals for every month that you want to achieve or things you want to achieve that Absolutely. month. Absolutely. Yeah. So can you give us an example of what some of those goals might be? Look, it varies every month. I, 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 I break it up into a couple of different character, categories. So there's always personal. So for me, um, avoiding pain, um, <laughs> I go to the gym. So it's usually something centric around my health. So a couple of morning walks a week. Um, it might be four days in the gym. It might be tra- tracking my macros, mm-hmm. which is something that I'm into. And you I, just pick and choose depending on you go, okay, I want to pick I, my macros. It's going to be my focus this month. No, I look at how I got to the art last month. So I've got, a, I've got a pretty regimented way of doing my goals. And anybody who knows me knows that I'm massive, like I'm robotic about it. And if I write something up there, it's non-negotiable. Mm. So it, if it gets written up there, it happens. I'm a big believer in, you know, whatever you say you're going to do, you fucking do it. So um, I last month had up there um, my, 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 my personal fitness goals. I'm very angry that I didn't get to achieve one of them. It's because I tore my meniscus in my knee. So I'm having surgery in two days <laughs> to fix that. So that's kind of forgive pushed me you. back we'll, a bit. We'll forgive you for not achieving yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, one, yeah, 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 yeah. And then there's kind of like, um, then there's project goals. So for every quarter, I'll develop 
big picture stuff that I want to achieve. Mm-hmm. And so you'll see like chunked out, like, it, you know, last month it was get to Lamazoko Linear's, um, sorry, um, GS3's locked away, you know, progress on the CRM project, lock in the next um, system, um, evaluate um, supplier X, um, close this, quote on this every week. Um, so it's it's usually something that's measurable as opposed to, like, it, it, like it's, it's, they're always tangible. Um, it might be how many, you know, it might be something really, I always have something fun at the bottom. Mm-hmm. So it might be like an experience or a place I'm going to, that sort of stuff. But every month is a good 15 things up there. That we mm-hmm. just, they just have to be crossed off. Um, and when you have those up there, how do you, let me ask the question a different way. I know one of the big things I have with challenge, with with that sort of goal setting myself, and I think probably people listening might as well, is you can have those goals, but then all of a sudden April 1st turns into the 20th and the 20th turns into the 25th and you're only a third of the way through, right? Yeah. How do you sort of keep yourself on top of that so you're not scrambling at the last minute to all of a sudden quote or go to the gym or whatever the, it might be? The hack is have it in front of you every day. Mm-hmm. So you can't... So it breeds a good habit of having it front and foremost. Um, I, 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 I try and surround myself with people who are supportive of what I'm trying to be achieving. And I, I, I don't, I feel like negativity doesn't last too long in my world. If there are people that are negative around me or bring a negative vibe, I don't have the time of day for them. So there's the element of having it front and foremost, the element of having people supportive around you. Um, but there are sometimes you'll get to the stage where I was one of them, which was last month, which is sign off on CRM project. I settled for sign off for the top two. Mm. And then we're going to make a decision in the beginning of this month. We're still not quite there, but I know that I'm 85% there. So I accept a major progress as a victory, Mm. but I'm definitely writing it back up on the next month. I'm a completionist. Mm. You only ever get, measured on the things you complete, not on the things you start. Yeah. So, um, I just make it my, my, my business to make sure that my shit that I write up to, I do because I keep that commitment to myself. Interesting. Noticing a bit of a, a recurring theme as well too, because, uh, Jason Price is obviously a mutual friend of ours who recently interviewed yeah. and, uh, he's got the same thing as well too on his. Does he? And, yeah. And we had a really good conversation around how his, his how he doesn't do his every month. He has got, he's got uh, the yearly goals. Okay. We're talking about the, the, the evolution of those goals as well too. And it's sort of a, a guiding beacon to where, where he's going and that reminder to focus on think- the aspects you do. I think the thing for me is that I'm still developing in my mind's eye like what it is that I really want to be and from a, from a, a range of different aspects. I think I would know what I want stuff-wise. I think I know what I want to do experience-wise, but what my contribution is is something that I'm still working towards mm. in terms of identifying. What do, you, what do you mean by that? What's your... So, like, what is my life's greatest purpose? Like, what is my life's, what is going to be my life's greatest work? Mm-hmm. Um, building a business and being successful and, you know, creating jobs for people and making a difference and putting a stamp is pretty cool, right? But like, what will I, what will I feel the most fulfillment from? Mm. I still think that I get, a, I get a phenomenal amount of fulfillment from where I'm at, but that's where I see myself right now. I'm curious to know what that will be long-term for mm-hmm. me, which is really like something that's a curiosity point. My approach to this stuff, like I don't know what um, Jace is, for those guys listening, I purposely haven't listened to Jace because I didn't want to, skew anything that I was going to say but um, 
essentially every year I reflect in January. My, my year, my month of reflection is January. Mm-hmm. So I always go overseas and I write up my, my personal, my spiritual, my growth, my business, my um, every kind of like my financial goals. And then I, I've got this massive list and I can I do it on my iPhone. It's real basic. And then mm-hmm. I come back and then I, I basically chunk it out into quarters. And then I figure out what my rocks are for the quarter. And then um, every so that basically all I've got to do is I've got a list of things I've got to chew through in 90 days and I just break it up. Mm. First in, best rest. Mm. Absolutely. So it's just, I don't think it's difficult. I think it's just like figuring out what you want and then reverse engineering it. Yeah. I think um, obviously as listeners know, and you might know as well too, I'm a big Tim Ferriss fan. Really take a lot of, uh, take a lot of inspiration, a lot of stuff he says. And I think one of the things that's really been my big mentality shift is that people overestimate what they can do in a, in, a, in a week, but underestimate what they can do in a year. And I think that for me is a lot because I'm actually celebrating today when recording this, I think I'm, I'm two days away from the three anniversary of being in Australia. You! And, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's one of those things where I don't think I've never really in my life besides birthdays, if I ever had a real milestone in terms of, gee, 365 days has passed since the last year. So you're, you're going to have a, so yeah, you're going to have a thousand party for sure. A thousand party. Oh yeah, a thousand party. Yeah, absolutely. But it's, it's, it, it kind of freaks me out a little bit. Uh, I think pop up on Facebook, the reminder, and it yeah. was over a year ago I left and I thought, it, it was, for me it's interesting because I left Canada with literally just a backpack and a one year visa. Wow. And it's been really interesting where, I don't, again, I've got a really clear start point in my mind about what happened three years ago and how far I've gone. And I can sort of measure my life financially, spiritually, professionally, you know, even the standard of living where I look at my first place that I live now and it's all progress. And again, I don't think it was before that I spent 24 years in Canada where it was just sort of, it was just such a linear timeline and it was a little bit harder to sort of draw from that. And I found that absolutely amazing. So I think it's probably... Well, it sounds a little bit similar to yourself as well, too. You, you've set that. You've set that. You've set that parameter of January. Yeah. Is you're gonna strategize. Yeah. Come back, chunk it, execute. Yep. And reflect and, and refine. It's worked for the last three years. So, um, and I'm always astounded with what I get achieved. <laughs> like I, I mean, um, my little brother <laughs> said to my mum, and I found out through my mum. He said, "Look." I um, I don't know if I like talking to Ryan anymore on the phone. <laughs> Why is that? She said, and I uh, to the to look. This is Mum paraphrasing him, but he's like, you know, like I'm telling him that I'm doing uni and like I'm working and stuff, and he's like, yeah, I bought this other thing, got this machine, doing like all these events, and you know, then I'm gonna go buy this thing, and then I've hired these people, and I'm like, he makes it sound like I'm sort of juggernaut, <laughs> <laughs> um, but. I suppose it might sound like that from the outside, but I'm just, I don't know, maybe I'm wired like that. Maybe that's just the expectation I have, but I just want to get shit done. I want to build shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Mate, success leaves clues. That's, uh, that's why we're here having this chat, because you've, uh, you've got the clues, and uh, I truly don't think that it's, it's not by accident. It's it's not by accident. It's you've you've manifested itself through. So so going back, coffee and cue. So you, you want to move to Melbourne. You get the van. You come down. You start yeah. building it. Yeah. Um, were there any times early on where you where you kind of had that that moment where you weren't sure if you're going to make it, or were you pretty pretty convinced, or not convinced, but you pretty? Um, Look, there there were times where I thought that I'd be working for a cafe and doing a job to support it. Um, 
I think I always believed that it was possible to make it work because I'd seen it work elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So I didn't think I was reinventing the wheel. Yeah. And I knew what the competitive landscape was when I got down here. I just need to f- I needed to figure out quickly how I could make it work and how I could differentiate and make myself as my own brand me, you know, work. And I did that um, through trial and error. Yeah. So um, was there a moment of doubt? I think so, but because I'd done it with the pizza shop and I had no idea, I was like, well, yeah. I got half an idea on it. <laughs> so I should be okay. Yeah. So obviously where you started that almost two and a half years ago, three years ago now? Three and a half now. Three and a half now. Yeah. So you're doing phenomenally well, I think, and I'll, I'll, I'll repost this on the uh, on the Facebook page as well too. You actually just recently got a, a new location, which yep. I think is a pretty good pretty good milestone. Thanks, man. You have been crushing your goals. What's what's in the future for for Ryan? Where's that? What are the next steps? So we we spent a lot of time recently going through um, VMV, so vision, mission, values, mm-hmm. and really defining that because I think it's one thing to kind of grow a business and like make it all grow and do its thing. But you get to a point where the people around you start, they like you need something bigger to work towards, Mm. right? So it's okay to rock up and do a job and it's okay to grow and to, to do your thing. But one of the reasons that I hire, well, the, the people have in common around me is that the standard they have for themselves is a lot higher than what most do, mm. right? So everybody I hire has got to be an A player, especially those close around me. And I think about the people who are close around me, they're all A players. Um, the, we spend a lot of time on defining where we want to go and we define that our vision is to be the leaders in the world in event specialty coffee. That's pretty epic, right? <laughs> so I don't want to be a coffee cart company. I don't want to be the guy that people spec in to do, you know, this one job here and at a, you know, kid's Christmas, like a kid's birthday party. Like we really believe that we've got something that's unique. We're in a really good place. Like Melbourne is the home of the coffee, right? Mm. And the, the, the pitch we have to our customers is that it's simple. It's really easy to get an amazing cup of coffee on every corner of Melbourne. When you go to an event, that standard does not translate. Right, you've got hotels that still serve Lavazza and Vittoria. <laughs> you've got event um, conference centres that um, are using a you know machines and staff that don't quite to the standard of Melbourne specialty coffee. When I say specialty, specialty coffee, what do I mean? I mean locally roasted fresh stuff. I mean hipster grades coffee. I mean <laughs> weighed and timed shots. I mean every coffee is made with every coffee in mind. Nothing is bulk produced. I mean everything is ground per shot. Um, I mean that you're using cafe standard equipment, like you're using like the same stuff you're going to get in an amazing broadsheet or timeout worthy um, place. So that that standard is to me is really normal in the specialty coffee community and it's just accepted that if you're going to go get a coffee like Dustin's going to go get his, his latte he's not going to go to somewhere that's sort of from the 90s you're going to go something that's good right you've got so much choice so we think there's this big gap in what people are getting at events and we feel there's so much more that can be attained at events with that coffee as a conduit coffee to some people mean to, coffee to people means different things right some people don't give a shit some people don't like just want to book us because it's a a thing other people see it to be the conduit of connection for, for conversation we just want to be the quality we want to help make events better and leave them better than what we left them. we would have um, 
you know, started with through providing an amazing experience. And we think there's huge opportunity to do that with events and conferencing. That's, that's basic. You know, there's ideas we've got around what we can do as happiness as a service in people's offices. Having that as a perk, I'm watching at PricewaterhouseCoopers, they're going through massive amounts of um, volume and it's a perk for their staff, right? Just like parking used to be, mm. right? It's not anymore because you can't <laughs> afford it. Um, but having a barista make coffee with personalized service that you're going to get in the morning might save you $10 a day in catering or for your personal self. That's epic. Mm. I think there's a huge opportunity there. Um, so... I can't remember the original question. I kind of just got into a little bit of a, a rant. Oh, I love it. Keep going. But um, look, where we're going is um, uh, we're getting the mix right. We're getting our stack right. Our people, we're, we're really building that team out and we've spent a long time, a lot of time like defining who we are, what our, what our critical um, values are. We've defined our, our, our six core values and we're going out and we're building our, our team around that. And I think there's just huge opportunity around quality good coffee and events like mm. there's so much happening in Melbourne and I think Melbourne's the beginning so obviously globally you're going to go to back to Sydney <laughs> <laughs> look man not, anything's possible there's a big opportunity we're working on at the moment to do um, I can't say where or when but got a really cool concept we're working on that if it goes ahead we'll launch in three weeks time and it'll be in the CBD and it'll be massive absolutely um, you know one of our one of our core values is uh, we stay hungry. Mm. And I think that comes like, you know, we've got be the duck, you know, be the duck. Ever seen the duck swim? No. Cool and calm on top underneath <laughs> is swimming like a mofo. <laughs> so that means, you know, for our staff, like you might be standing in front of 150 people. Yeah. You've got one steam lever working. You've got a kilo of coffee to go. You d- your milk delivery might happen coming. I'm not saying these are the parameters we put people under, yeah. but that is the, you know, the theory you've got to be able to be the duck. It'll be cool, calm, collected. We're family first. The little things count. Um, it's a little bit late in the night, so I'm starting. <laughs> my, brain, my brain's starting to, to tick. But um, you know, we spent a lot of time on that, and that's been really foundational. Um, been investing a lot in ourselves, and you know, learning and getting that stuff right. And that's kind of where we're focusing our, our attention. We're building this new warehouse. We're going to deck it out real sweet. Um, I think education is going to be play a big part of our, um, our, our mix in the future. But, you know, global domination of coffee in, in events, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, can tell you as a, uh, I can tell you as a Canadian that um, there could be a good opportunity for a market there because, uh, sadly enough, I, uh, I remember first coming to Melbourne and going, you, have you ever been to Canada, I should ask? I've been to the States and not to Canada. Yeah. Do you know what the Tim Hortons Double Double is? Heard of it. It's 50-50, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's just trip coffee that's been just yep. just grinding away, right? Yeah. So one of, our, one of our one of our girls, Kylie, comes from. Um, she learned how to make coffee in Canada at one of the good specialty coffee places. But the standards there, by comparison to here, are nowhere. Yeah, I feel like a good specialty places. It's pretty. It's pretty low in terms of the standards. So coming coming to Melbourne, I remember um, getting my uh, getting my long black for. My uh, listeners back in Canada, that's basically just a shot. Of, it's an Americano a shot yep. of uh, shot of espresso and some hot water. Yeah. And uh, don't 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 reach over the uh, table and kill me. But uh, I remember thinking, it's all the same. It's just a coffee. <laughs> it's just a coffee. That's like, and you know what? And that's one of our object. That's one of our objections, yeah. right? That's one of the things we've got to overcome. So, part of the challenge of selling value for us is communicating what our actual value is. Mm. And a lot of the time, 
One of the most challenging things is, and you might know this because you work in B2B, like previously in B2B consulting, a lot of what you're selling is intangible, mm. but you know the result you can generate is, is, is immeasurable. Mm. So how do you translate that? That's yeah. a challenge. Yeah. Um, and a real one. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's experience a lot of the time. Absolutely. All right. I think this has been a fantastic chat so far. I'm just keeping out of time. It is getting late at night. I want to transition now to the uh, to the rapid fire questions. Cool man, so, hit me. Uh, taking off the inspiration of Tim Ferriss, I'll just an answer. Or excuse me, I'll ask the question. Uh, your answer can be long or short. It doesn't really matter. So cool man. Uh, the first question is: What book has most changed your life? And specifically, love if you could place us as to where you read it and what context changed things for you. Oof! I'm opening up my Audible. <laughs> um, I'm a nut for reading books on the fly. Um, I can give you one that probably started a change. All right, the biggest one is going to be um, I'm a big Simon Sinek fan. Mm. Start with why, and yeah. you probably find the theme of um, trying to find a purpose. Um, can I tell you where I was when I read it? You know, it was I was everywhere because I don't read books; I listen to them. Mm-hmm. So. I was probably in my 1999 Toyota Town Ace rolling around with tin and windows and a rattling ramp in the back, <laughs> somewhere in South Melbourne. But the importance, of, the importance of getting to the core of asking the question why five times of yourself or of the people around you or of the idea you've got is incredibly powerful. And I don't do what I do because I want to make money or, you know, because I think that it's cool, like... It's actually a bigger thing that's driving me. And I think it's important to learn the value of um, asking that type of question and, and expecting a good answer if you're going to ask a good quality question. Mm. Um, so I certainly do that to... I certainly ask those, those types of why questions to everybody around me. And it's a prerequisite for anybody who works in my team like to, to have read that book. Hmm. <laughs> the, uh, the, the first guy I interviewed, he actually... Uh, they actually buy boxes of Simon Sinek's Start With Why. And it's actually one of, it's, it's actually the core principle to practically their whole business. And wow. I'll actually send, I'll show you a picture of their, um, uh, the, the, their, their mission, vision values. And they, the, the way they go about it is extraordinarily deep and rich. I mean, the whole business and businesses say that, you know, mission, vision, values is important to them, but I've never, ever seen a business take it to the level that they do and cool. the real authentic and how it spills out to relationships. So it's fantastic. I will dovetail and I will quickly tell you, there's been a couple other books. Um, one of them is um, written by Tony Shea, Delivering Happiness. Ah, For anybody who wants, to, who wants to, 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 to know about that. Yeah. And the other one, if you want to talk about vision, mission, values is unwritten by um, Jack DeLosa, the mm-hmm. founder of The Entourage. Yeah. Two good, two good books to figure out how to get your VMV clear. Make yeah. sure it's inspirational, though. Yeah, absolutely. Just before I go into the next question as well, too, um, how do you incorporate books into to your life? Is it specifically that you have a problem, or you have a challenge, or you're focusing on a certain subject, or are you just sort of just kind of downloading on, seeing what sticks? So my cheat codes for life. Um, <laughs> I love that. I'm gonna use that. Uh, I went and did a business seminar once because I saw an ad and it was for a dollar you can go and do this course for a couple of days and it changed my life. And it was run by a really quite famous um, entrepreneurial education um, platform. They're private. And um, a few, one of the things I learned was that the biggest thing you can have 
in your life is personal mastery, right? And I think that the, the original the original quote of personal mastery actually comes from um, Jack Canfield and the Success Principles. But the, the notion is this, that, you know, if you want to get anywhere, you've got to identify what it is that you don't have and figure out what the gaps are along the way. So, and I'm also a big believer in if you don't know how to get there, then find somebody else who has. Mm. Never taken advice from anybody who hasn't done what you want to do. So, I've got a couple of coaches in my life, right? So, I've got a nutritional coach, I've got a physical coach, I've got a business coach, um, and then I've got like some more mentors around me. Like, I don't do, I don't, I don't know what to do these days by accident, right? So, um, my reading, I, I, I try and crush a book and a half a week. Um, and my reading list is usually around like, how do I know what to read next? I either ask my business coach, like, you know, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm trying to do. What book should I be reading? And he is pretty good at advising. I've got a list of things that I've, I've got a list of 50 books I'm trying to read at the moment. And I've also, um, usually talked to a few of my accountability friends and they'll point me in the direction of another book that might be relevant to an, to an area. Mm. So... Does that answer the question? Totally. Yeah. I, I think as well too, one thing I think that you said there that I think is so important is don't take advice from people who haven't achieved what you want to achieve yeah. or have led that journey. Um, I, I think that is, I, I just don't think that can be overstated enough. Is, is, advice is, I think as I heard in a song one time, advice is is somebody's, somebody's taken the past, dusted it off and tried to sell it to you. Um, and there's probably some wisdom in there, mm. but there's a difference between people who have gone through that journey. And that's obviously what I want to do here is, is let's get rid of the, let's, let's, let's put the, the LinkedIn blogs and all that to the side and let's mm. sit down with people who have gone on the journey mm. and are going on the journey. And let's, let's have that conversation because sure. on the backs of giants, we stand to, to <laughs> a, a cheesy, cheesy line. But, uh, um, so the next question is, is who's been the greatest influence on your life growing up? And it could be somebody, uh, you didn't know or somebody you did. It doesn't really matter. I really struggle here, man, <laughs> because I think the question is probably really asking who's your role model and who have you aspired to be and how have you kind of adapted that? I think I've had a lot of people that I've like looked up to as um, as I was growing up. There's certainly different people that there's certainly different people that I look up to in my um, in my adult life, um, and I think there's different mentors that I've got for different things that I've you know seen in people. So I I, um, I struggle to give you a definitive answer if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably. So is it a matter then of maybe it's not one person, but it's different people in terms of achieve mastery in a particular area that you yeah. want to achieve mastery then? So it's yeah. sort of a collection of people. Do you, want to, do you want to share with any of those people who have achieved that mastery? Anybody? Again, it could be prominent figures. It could be people, you didn't, people that, you know, uh, like, like Simon Sinek maybe in terms of sort of that pursuit he's gone on and what he's doing to the world. It's funny, when I identify a role model, it's always around somebody who I see has something that I want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, if you look at a recent one, might be TJ, who's mm. the founder of um, RBT Gyms, which is gym we met at. Um, I'm enthralled by the way his brain works. <laughs> <laughs> the guy is a marketing genius, right? Not genius, but 
just has it worked out, has mm-hmm. his vertical worked out, knows his language about what mm-hmm. you know, he's trying to communicate. That's pretty impressive to watch somebody who's come from a life of a bashed up former professional footballer to running 12 gyms, three, um, two in other countries, a business coaching platform and just communicating out um, his vision every day. That's really cool. Mm. Some other guys that I look up to that I'm probably not as... Um, not as vocal about, but are the guys who, the ones who roast our coffee, um, industry beans, they're both around my age, circa three, 30 years old, two brothers. One is ex-hospitality professional um, in running restaurants. The other one is an engineer who <laughs> started a cafe, started roasting coffee, built an amazing little cafe, then built a massive roastery and have built a, a juggernaut of a roasting business in an established market that's very difficult to crack mm. that's have people flocking to them out because they've done such an amazing job around quality um, and they've got this beautiful brand they've built I think I look up to them a lot I look up to the guys at Campos in Sydney who pioneered part of the the, the specialty coffee industry in um, in Sydney I think I look up to the guys in Blue Bottle in the States what mm. they've created out of a drip coffee market and Starbucks <laughs> and actually you know, bash down the specialty coffee doors. Yeah. Um, I think for I look up to different people for for different things and different different stuff that I admire about them, more stuff that I want to maybe have a crack at one day. Um, so my answer is really diverse. It's mm-hmm. not one person. It's not one figure. That's all right. There's no right or wrong answers. In this. That's all right. um, what has given you a disproportionate return on investment of your time and energy in your life? Disproportionate. In this way, going up, um, I think reading, and mm-hmm. it's boring, <laughs> and it doesn't sound cool, but sticking to sticking to learning has actually changed my mindset, and it's changed my ability to achieve. In my first year of business, we did pretty good. My second year, we did, you know, double as good as we did in the first year, but I got to a point where I was now having to grow and delegate and build a mm. team and I didn't have two fists of fuck all idea of what to do, right? And it's, and it's you know, the thematic thing you're probably identifying here, Dustin, is, is around like my having to be in the fire before I, I grow. But the thing I've learned is that if I invest in myself and my knowledge, then I get exponential mm. results out of that. And it actually, you know, by reading books that help me or books that are positive or books that talk about things that are inspiring me, it actually changes my whole mindset. And just by just by the, the pure virtue of listening to stuff that changes or makes me question things, puts me ahead of the, ahead of the game mm. in a way that I don't think is comprehensible before. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you about what I'm experiencing now before I started doing this. So yeah, just crushing books and listening to it and committing to books and implementing stuff, that's, that's what gives me a disproportionate return on investment. Fantastic. Um, what mantra or ins- inspirational quote has most changed your life and why? And when did you first hear it? I might buy you a second here because I know this is a really tricky one. So um, to people listening, they're going to hear me say this. But if you were to ask me this answer, I actually don't have necessarily one that I use. It, for me, I wear quotes like I wear um, like a shield, a, a jacket. Um, and for me, it depends on where I am, 
what challenges I'm facing, where my mentality, where I'm focusing the energy on. And through, through podcasts, audiobooks, and just general just consumption of all this sorts of stuff, I intake a lot, but I find that there's moments that if I stop, if I physically stop, and kind of take a minute to ponder it, then that really sticks with me, and I'm still going through. Um, there's uh, there's one by Jocko Willing that, um, uh, uh, oh, what is it now? Oh, sorry, discipline equals freedom, right? So it's it's this idea that back to my broccoli and back to if I can stay disciplined in my macros, disciplined in going to the gym, discipline in all those little things we talk about, then it gives me financial freedom. It gives me freedom to have that meal and not feel bad. It gives me the freedom to go to the gym and have an amazing workout, all those different things. So it's an area that for me, and another quote I've talked about, is the little things are the big things. So if I can focus on those little things done every single day, it's going to give me, putting the two together, the freedom for me to do what I want. So that's anyway. So that's that's mine. I think it's really funny because I draw a lot of similarity there. One of them is my own quote that I draw. <laughs> it's my own kind of thing. But, you heard it uh, here first on the Y2 yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's to say fuck it more often. Yeah. And not just because I want to throw a cuss word out there, but it's not to, but not so much as just, just to say fuck it, because say fuck it and then back yourself mm. and to follow your heart and follow your passion, right? So that is something I'm a big believer in. And it could sound a little bit fuzzy, and it could sound a little bit like, you know, if you come from a background where it's traditional and you need to follow something that is a traditional vocation and that's the pressure, I think you'll only get to a certain point of your happiness in life. So I'm a big believer in following your heart and listening to it. I listen to, I listen to my, my head as well, but I make a lot of decisions um, based on this, I suppose, this other sense that we have around things that we can feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, you might say, oh, I've got a hunch or I've got a feeling or I've kind of, um, I can just, I can just sense it and listening to that and allowing that to help you say, fuck it mm. to doing what you want to do is a massive one that I live by. The other one, like I, I heard Kerwin Ray talking about with you, you know, the, the, the discipline is the, is the, is the secret to freedom. And I believe in that too. But the other one I've got is, um, is, is one that actually inspires me a lot. And it's from these guys. I'm holding a pen here, guys, from logo of Toyota on it. Toyota's our biggest customer. We're their preferred supplier for coffee you know, um, in Australia. And um, I really like their approach to Kaizen. Mm. Kaizen, or I am not pronouncing it correctly because it's Japanese, so it depends on Kaizen. Um, but it's the theory that 1% changes every day um, create a compounding effect. And so... I have a Kaizen approach to my health. I have a Kaizen approach to my learning. I have a Kaizen approach to our systems. I have a Kaizen approach to coffee. I've got a Kaizen, hopefully Kaizen approach to maybe even my relationship. Um, and it's that you put the effort in and you, you know, energy in equals energy out. So with those 1% changes every day, then you've got a massive compounding effect by the end of the year. Mm. Love it. Um, and uh, tell me about your morning routine. <laughs> I'm assuming it involves coffee. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, it is different for this last week because of my knee, because um, you know torrent squatting. Mm. But essentially, um, it, I get up um, if the weather's good. So I'll go out on my morning walk. So if it's me on my own, I'm listening to a book. And I walk the botanic, the, the tan, so I'm mm-hmm. out along the water. It's a 35-minute walk. 
And I've got three coffee places that I'll go to. It's either a sit-down coffee in an um, Acme cup and long black over the water, or it's a underground place to go to where I can sit and listen to the trains or the buskers, or it's another place I go to which is a hole in the wall and we duck right to the back. Um, and it's just my... Look, my morning walk is like to get the exercise and get the blood flowing as to that sort of stuff. But it's my time to like just be in airplane mode and just to watch the city. Mm. Or it's time to spend time to spend um, with Katie and we can just walk and enjoy that time together. Katie's your partner. Yeah. Um, and then I come back and I've had my coffee and then I've the night before I've always written my to-do list. So I reflect on that, figure out if there's anything I need to update. I do probably 15 to 20 minutes of email smashing it cook a really good breakfast what do you cook okay so it's four so my my breakfast is four scrambled eggs with, with milk um 150 grams of salmon with rocket um sea salt pepper and then a little bit of goat's cheese and then i might add other stuff to it mm. like half an avocado with lemon and olive oil but that's kind of my go-to it's like high fat high protein just gets me going mm-hmm. Um, yeah and then I kick off my day so every morning is um, I'm usually prepped by 8.30 um, and 9am is stand up with our team so yeah so you get this all done by 9am yeah <laughs> you're, you're an early morning riser yeah man 6.15 at the minimum wow fantastic Ryan I really appreciate this conversation today I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me there's uh, there's been heaps of gems I'm sure we'll do uh, we'll do a round two in the future cool man uh, just for everybody listening um, obviously everything will be in the show notes um, obviously I'll get, a, I'll get some snaps of all the things we've been talking about today to post up so you can get some visual aspects but uh, Ryan it's been an absolute blast thanks so much again for your time thanks brother thanks for having me take care pleasure Hi, everyone, and thank you again for joining me for today's chat. Please make sure you jump on Facebook to quickly like and share this podcast episode. If you're not already following me, please take another quick minute to hit that like button so you can stay up to date with all new podcast episodes, exciting announcements, and other things going on. You can find me on Facebook at Project Y2, that's at Project Y and the number two. And you can also follow me on LinkedIn if you're there. Don't forget to share and rate this on wherever you find your podcast episodes, and I look forward to having you join me again for our next Y2 podcast.